0: You're listening to the Bible Teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord God stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said Sorry. And said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and had set and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Lez at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is the Word of the Lord.
1: Okay, so every spring, uh, during the Lenten season, we as a community take time, intentionally take time to remember that the path to the empty tomb on Easter first takes us into the wilderness with Jesus, the place where Jesus fasted for 40 days and he was tempted by the enemy. Now for the believer, the wilderness, Is given new value what used to be a place to avoid now because of Jesus is a place to embrace we see from the pattern of Jesus's life from the Gospels that baptism was the place where Jesus's identity was declared this is my son my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased and then immediately it says the spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tested for 40 days And so the pattern of Jesus' life is this, that baptism is where identity is declared. The wilderness is where it's proven. It's where it's shaped for us. It's a place that God grows us and he prepares us. And as our series uh, title says, it's where we are formed. And so for the remainder of the Lenten season, what we're going to do is we're going to explore The accounts of the lives of people in the Bible that discovered God and themselves in very unique ways within the wilderness. And how their lives were changed forever because of that encounter in the wilderness. And we're going to begin by looking at the life of an individual named Jacob. Jacob is someone who, as we're told earlier in the book of Genesis, is entering into the wilderness in a state of identity crisis. He's been disguising himself in very strange ways. He's he's been pretending that he is something that he is not. He's been desperate for something. He's been desperate for the attention of his father. He's been desperate to find his place in the family. He's been desperate to be called a somebody. And yet something changes through this encounter that we're reading about this morning. And so what I've done is I've titled this morning's message, Revelation in the Wilderness, which I think will become abundantly clear. How I want to begin is by telling you about a study that was conducted a few years ago by a group of researchers that were seeking to understand how awe and wonder uh, transform the way that we experience life. And so they conducted these experiments where groups of people were exposed to Awe-inspiring experiences, and then other groups of people were not, and they began to see these these vast differences between the people that were experiencing uh, that were exposed to awe, experiencing moments, and those who were not. Some emerged from these times more compassionate and caring, and others not so much. And one study that they conducted was at the campus just up the highway there at UC Berkeley, and if you've ever been to UC Berkeley. There's this grove of like 200 plus foot uh, uh, blue gum, Tasmanian blue gum eucalyptus trees. And there's these beautiful trees. And so they took these participants there and they set them in a, a specific spot. And some of them, one by one, they asked some of them to look up at these trees for just one minute. And then they asked other participants to look horizontally at the side of the science building for just one minute. And then after each one-minute sort of experiment, they had someone walk by with, in, in this sort of like staged accident. They would drop their pencils or they would drop their papers. Just a mild, mild accident. And what they found was that for those who spent just one minute looking up at these beautiful trees, they were far more inclined to go help the other people than the people that were looking horizontally at the side of the science building. And study after study after study showed this, quote, awe inspires people with a different sense of themselves one that is smaller more humble and, and a part of something larger our research finds that even brief experiences of awe such as being amid beautiful tall trees lead people to feel less narcissistic and entitled and more attuned to the common humanity people share with one another Even fleeting experiences, listen to these words here, fleeting experiences of awe redefine the self in terms of the collective and orient our actions towards the needs of those around us. And then they conclude with this, you can make the case that our culture today is awe-deprived. And to reverse this trend, we suggest that people insist on experiencing more everyday awe. Now, back here in Genesis 28, there's a word that repeats four times in this passage. Whenever the Bible repeats something, it's typically intended for you to pay attention and to focus because it's saying something important and it's sort of framing what we're looking at. And the word that repeats for us four times in this passage this morning is the word behold. Look. Look. And here's what I think we can reduce from that. It's this, that when we find ourselves in the wilderness, there is a call to behold. When you find yourself in the wilderness moment, whether intentionally or unintentionally, the call is still the same. Look intently because God is desiring to show you something. Insist on experiencing the sort of awe that will transform your life. And Genesis 28 is really a testimony of how God will grace us with these identity shaping experiences of awe in the least likely places. In the least likely places. If you're taking notes this morning, we're going to look at this passage under three headings we're going to look at the road, the revelation, and then the response. We'll look first at the road. Now, the wilderness is the space, and I know this is novel here. The wilderness is the space between the place we're coming from and the place that we're going to. Anthropologists call this wilderness space the liminal space. It's that disorienting, uncomfortable place in between. In some cultures, it's that time in that what, what is called the rite of passage you got to pass through this disorienting space to break away from the old and to break into the new now what makes the wilderness so challenging for us especially in the 21st century is that we are very much a point a to point b kind of people if you think about it all of the really most of the technology that we enjoy today is essentially technology that cuts out the middle space I want to talk to a friend across the city or across the world. What do I do? I pull out my phone and I call them. What's just happened? We just cut out the middle space. I want to travel across the country. I want to travel across the globe. I jump in a plane and in a matter of hours, I'm there. We just cut out the middle space. I order my Amazon. I get very upset because they failed to bring it within two days. They have failed to cut out the middle space. If we had the power to snap our fingers and magically appear at our destinations, many of us would. I, I've got a trip uh, to Southern California to make this later this month. And man, what I wouldn't give to avoid that just mindless middle space. Right? Just that, oh, just another brown hill that looks exactly the same. Wonderful. Now on a bigger scale. We often think to ourselves, if I could just skip that hard year of schooling, or if I could just skip that really awkward, trying time of dating, or if I could just skip these really taxing years of raising small children, or if I could just skip this really painful, difficult season of sickness and treatment, if I could just skip this moment, then my life would be so much better. If we could just If I could just arrive without this this middle stuff. But what we often forget in our desire to fast forward through our journey of life is that, and this is important, please listen. God meets us in the space between. God is in the journey. And for the believer, every place along the path in some mysterious way... Becomes the destination. Listen to how St. Catherine put it. All the way to heaven is heaven because he said, I am the way. The psalmist said, Who do I have in heaven but you? The psalmist is saying, You are my heaven. If you're not in heaven, heaven's not heaven. And because you are with me, heaven is on earth. All the way to heaven is heaven because you've said, I am the way. God's presence turns the road to fill in the blank into the arrival point because he's with us as we see from our account here in genesis 28 god transforms non-places into like these holy sacred moments and sacred places in our lives he essentially takes the the line between the secular and the sacred and causes it to blur away god is present look at me in verse 10 through 11 Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place, and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. So in verse 11, it tells us that he came to a certain place. You know what is notable about this certain place? Nothing. It wasn't even important enough to be named. Now the interesting thing is the narrator will later name it Luz, much better name, uh, But at this point, he's like, I should probably, like, go look up where it is, but it's not even that important. It's just a certain place. Just a random, no-name place. And like so many moments in our lives, it was a forgettable moment. Just a forgettable moment. And yet God meets Jacob there, and God continues to meet us there as well. Now, this is where faith gets really practical, and this is really vital for us. Hear me it is impossible to know God in the abstract. The God who took on flesh and blood to dwell among us refuses to be known in the abstract. This is a God who wants to be known in the nitty gritty, in the real stuff of life. If God is going to be encountered, listen, it's going to be an ordinary life. Not just the, the, the peak mountaintop moments. In the everyday stuff of life. In fact, this is where he insists on meeting us. Listen to what Jacob discovers along this journey. Verse 16. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. God was here all along, and I just, like, was not paying attention. If you don't learn to meet God on the road in the middle stuff, then you're not going to be prepared to meet him at the destination. If you don't learn to meet God now in whatever moment you find yourself, you're not going to be ready to meet him at some far off point at the end of your life. And what you'll sadly discover is that you have ignored him all along. I think we we picture God sitting i don't know somewhere out there like waiting for us to die all along he's actually in every moment of our lives with us he's not some cosmic cheerleader trying to (laughs) that's pretty morbid thought like i just can't wait for them to die no he is with us now and what god wants us to recognize is that he was in this place and he was in that place and he was even in that place We didn't even know it. God doesn't just want to meet you when you die. You need to hear that. God's not waiting for you off in some distant eternity. God in Christ is Emmanuel. God is with us. And he wants to meet you in the everyday average stuff of life, in the forgettable moments. He wants to meet you when you're on your way to work. And and he's present with you when you're talking to a loved one, or when you're walking the neighborhood, or when you're changing a diaper, or when you're pushing a vacuum, or when you're sending that like eight millionth email. He is there. He's present. He's present in every obscure moment. And so the question for you today is, will you be present to him? Will you be aware of him? But you see, not only does God meet us in the forgettable moments, he even meets us in the places that we want to forget. This isn't just a forgettable place. This is a place Jacob wants to forget. Jacob, whose name essentially means trickster, has just pulled a fast one on his father. And in a clever act of deception, he has almost completely destroyed his life. His father has been betrayed The prior chapter tells us that his mother loathes her life and now his twin brother esau has vowed that if i ever see this man again i'm going to kill him for the way that he's stolen my birthright this is not like leisure hike in the forest jacob has been exiled he's running from the explosion of his life and he's been severed from everything he's ever known See, in the ancient world, this time that we're reading about here, and and still in some parts of the world today, our place of origin held within it our history, our relationships, and our identity. Everything was wrapped up in our place of origin. And in one foul swoop, Jacob has essentially severed himself from everything. He's lost who he is. He's lost everything thus far. And so here we meet Jacob emerging from the chaos and the commotion of nearly destroying everything in his life. Just think about the angry shouts of his brother and the the wailing of his mother and just the deep disappointment of his father. And now all of a sudden, where we meet Jacob here in chapter 28, he's all alone and it is quiet. And here he is, all alone or so he thinks left just to himself and all of his thoughts and all of his emotions and all of his guilt and all of his fears and all of his deep regret, just the sound of the what ifs and the oh my gosh and the how did I get here, just resounding in his mind. And it's hard to tell what would have been more exhausting, the physical strain of a 500-plus journey, a mile journey on foot, or the mental anguish that came with every step further and further away from his home. How did I get here? What has my life become? And uh, I love the narrator here. As a way of just highlighting how low his life has gotten, he tells us, that he goes to bed that night resting his head on a stone pillow. (laughs) I don't know. I I don't care where you've been. That is low. That's a low, low moment. See, this isn't just a moment, a forgettable moment in Jacob's life. This is a moment he wants to forget. This is a moment that he wishes he could put so far behind him, just push fast forward and skip through this season of life. And yet in this moment of being brought extremely low, God is present god meets him here where he least expects it and when he least expects it see god transforms the lonely wilderness journey into a meeting place with god this is becoming a sanctuary as god meets him in a very broken moment and what we see here is a shocking picture of grace you know you've encountered the grace of god when you're saying whoa Listen to how one author put it if grace is so wonderful why do we have such difficulty recognizing and accepting it maybe it's because grace is not gentle or made to order it often comes disguised as loss or failure or unwelcome change see for grace to be grace it must give us things we didn't know we needed and listen take us places where we didn't even know we want, didn't want to go. As we stumble through this crazily altered landscape of our lives, we find that God is enjoying our attention as never before. That's what's happening here. God is enjoying Jacob's attention like never before. Which leads us to our second point, from the road to the revelation. As Jesus, I'm sorry, as Jacob rather, sleeps, He has this revelation from god and it comes in two parts it's what god shows him and what god speaks to him it's this visual revelation as well as this audible revelation so let's look first at what god shows him the first thing it says that it shows him is a ladder look with me in verse 12 and he dreamed and behold there was a ladder set up uh, uh, on the earth and the top of the uh, the top of it reached to heaven let me read that again and he dreamed and behold there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven now everyone from muhammad to led zeppelin has had their like own interpretation of what's going on here so from what i can gather from the commentaries probably the better translation for this word stairway or ladder is a ramp in the ancient world there were these temples and actually, you can still find these sort of temples today, uh, like the ones that you find like in the Yucatan uh, uh, Peninsula. Uh, but they were these temples; they, they were called ziggurats, like the Tower of Babel, that were these man-made temple structures that essentially were man's attempt to to reach the heavens. It was it was man's attempt to to to, to cross the distance between heaven and earth. And this is essentially the picture that Jacob is given here but what is different about this picture what is strikingly different about this picture is that the stairway is not man-made it is god created and that's very important because it tells us that for every failed attempt for man to reach heaven this is a picture of god bridging that gap and bringing heaven to earth the story of the scriptures is not man reaching to god in the heavens it's god in heaven reaching to man coming near the second thing it says in verse 12 is and behold angels of uh the angels of god were ascending and descending on it now angels synonymously throughout scripture they're known also as messengers in fact these words both in the old testament and new testament can can be used interchangeably and so what we see here is a picture of god's royal ambassadors coming and going ascending and descending carrying out the will of god all throughout the world it's a picture of god's authority at work in the world around us and then we see the lord standing above him some of you guys those translations read that the lord stood by him he sees a picture of god standing with him and you put these pictures together and this is what he is seeing he's seeing heaven coming down he's seeing god's authority on the move and he's seeing that the lord is near remember that heaven comes down God's authority on the move the Lord is near that's what he shows him secondly what he speaks to him God stood by Jacob and he gives him this long series of promises and if you boil down these promises they're essentially these I will be with you I will keep you and I will give you a home this is my vow to you Jacob this is my promise to you I'm going to be with you I'm going to keep you and I'm going to give you a home now remember These promises are coming to Jacob in the desert place. Remember, the wilderness is not like a beautiful, like, Sequoia National Park sort of situation. It's a desert. It's dry. It's the place where things don't grow and don't live. And this promise from God is meeting Jacob here in the desert where relationship is lacking. He's all alone. Where he's lacking security, when you're exposed to the elements out in the desert, you're very, very vulnerable. And the desert is not home, It's it's the journey space between, and yet, the promise comes to him. I will be with you, I will keep you, and I will give you a home. And so this is why this is such a profound promise in the desert place. All the things that God is promising, Jacob is lacking right now. And I think the point is this, that what we are stripped of in the wilderness, God provides for us in himself. Let me say it differently. What you are lacking in your life is found ultimately in Christ. That thing that you are missing, that thing you are longing for, you that thing that's perhaps even been stripped out of your life, God is saying, find it in me. You're alone. I'm with you. You're insecure and vulnerable, I will keep you. You're feeling lost and aimless, I will give you a home. All that you lack in this wilderness moment, I provide to you in myself. Now, I don't know about you, but at first, this scene just seems very foreign to me. Right? The only dreams I remember are the super dumb, unspiritual ones. Like the last dream I can remember, I was golfing with an, a former president. <laughs> no no one's writing that down in scripture and being encouraged for thousands of years based on that one. And I don't know about you, but when I am in the wilderness moment, I'm not hearing the promises of God. I'm hearing, I'm hearing the self-loathing woe is me talk, right? You're uncared for, you're abandoned, And so the question I have when I'm reading a passage like this and and when I'm preparing to communicate a passage like this is is how can we experience this sort of revelation in our wilderness moment? If you're not in one now, you will be. It's not a matter of if but when. And the question is how can we experience something as life-transforming as Jacob? And how can we personalize this? This is an inspiring story, but, I don't know, like stone pillows and heavenly ladders. Like, how do I personalize this in my own life? And here's how I believe we can, all of us. And the way that we can personalize this is actually found for us in the New Testament in, in, in the Gospel of John. And John tells us this. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, and he said, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I was in that place you didn't think I was. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending. Sound familiar? On the Son of Man. Not on some random ziggurat. Not on some random stairway to heaven. On me. So here's our, our Christ connection. What Jacob saw and heard that night was all just a hint of what we would see and we would experience in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is speaking in no uncertain terms. All that Jacob experienced points to me. It finds its fulfillment in me. And now I am broadening this experience from one person to all who would trust in me. question is where do we see heaven and earth coming down where do we see god's authority at work in the world and how do we hear the promise that god will never leave us that he will keep us and he's going to bring us home and the answer to all those questions is this it's in jesus Jesus is how we're brought back to God. Jesus is how we are kept safe in God. Jesus is who secures an eternal home for us. These promises are given to us in Christ, secured for us through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything that God spoke to Jacob thousands and thousands of years ago has been opened up to you, to you, to be received by believing in Christ. See, through the gospel we have been given a continual revelation of god it's a never-ending picture into the love and into the authority and into the nearness of god here's the thing jacob had a life-transforming vision but guess what he woke up and it vanished right it was a one-time deal and then he was forced to sojourn to journey from that point forward with the memory of what had happened, it was a one-time deal. But for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, hear me, the revelation never ceases. The latter, it follows us. It is with us wherever we go. Because why? Jesus is with us. And you too shall see angels descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. And so here's the good news. When you feel alone, what do you do? You look to Jesus. Jesus and you look to his word and you hear these words from romans chapter 8 for i am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all of creation will separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus our lord i am with you and nothing is getting between us when we're feeling vulnerable and weak and susceptible We hear those words, I will keep you. You are safe in me. When we feel lost, when we feel aimless, when we feel homeless, when we feel like we don't know where we belong in this world, we're reminded through the words of Jesus, I will give you a lasting home. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, and you will be with me. Everything our heart longs for, every question that we face in life ultimately finds its answer in Jesus. The ladder goes with us. The ramp to heaven has come to us. The revelation is never ending. And So the call for us is to continue to look to Jesus Christ. Remember, when we find ourselves in the wilderness moment, the call is to behold. Oh, where are we looking? You look to Jesus and specifically, we look to the Jesus that's been revealed to us in the gospel, in the scriptures. Amen? One last point. You thought it was done. Ha. Huh. Uh, the response, I'll make it quick, I promise. Uh, remember, we're looking how we are formed in the wilderness. That is the title, and that's my responsibility this morning. How are we formed in the wilderness? How are we being shaped? How are we being changed? Well, Jacob emerges from this encounter encounter with God in the desert place, a very changed person. And so what I want to do is I want to highlight a few things that we see from Jacob's response, and then we'll close. But look at me in verses 16 through 22. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. The name of the city was Luz in the first. first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, So that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I've set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Three things, and then I'm done. The first is this be present to God, be present to God. The goal of the Christian life is never to try to make God present with us. The goal of the Christian life is to live present to God. There's nothing you have to do to convince God to care about you. But there are measures that we must take to convince ourselves that God does care. And that God is with us. Practical things to awaken our hearts and awaken our souls to the reality that God is with us in the mundane moments, and in the important ones. Listen to the words of St. Augustine. He said, as he prayed to the Lord, you were within me, but I was outside. And it was there that I searched for you. In my unloveliness, I plunged into the lovely things that you created. You were with me, but I was not with you. Let that not be said about our lives. That God was with us, but we weren't present with him. So one of the ways that we can make ourselves present to God is through fasting. This is a tradition of the church through the season of Lent to intentionally give up something good in our life in order to find the better version in God. Sometimes for people it's a a food or certain kinds of food. It's that It's that thing that we rely on to get us by. And then we're reminded as we give up that food, we're reminded that man lives not by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the Father's mouth. That Christ is the bread of life. Or perhaps you give up a certain amount of entertainment. You essentially say, entertainment's not necessarily bad, but what I want to find my pleasure and my fulfillment in this season is in Jesus. It's intentionally giving up something so that we can find the better in Christ. This is one of the ways that we can live present to God. Be present. Secondly, build a memorial. Build a memorial. Now, throughout the scriptures, whenever God met his people or he spoke to his people. Or, they, or he did something amazing for his people like stopping the Jordan River. So that every single one of the Israelites could cross into the promised land. Almost every time, they would set up these stone memorials in in order to help them to remember for years and years and years of what God had done. And I love this. One of the purposes of setting up these stone memorials was that when our children were born, they would eventually come to their parents and be like, what is that big old heap of stones over there? And the parent would say, I thought you would never ask. That is where God met his people Like, we were in the 11th hour, and we thought all bets were off, and everything was hopeless. And at the last moment, God, in his grace and his might, showed up and delivered us through. And I want to tell you about it. And when you have kids, you're going to tell them about it. And this stone is going to help you to never forget that God is with you, and God is at work in your life. A stone memorial. Now, what I think is most remarkable about this stone that, that Jacob resurrects here what's most compelling is not just that he makes a memorial but it says he took the stone from underneath his head listen to me he allowed the stone of his discomfort to become the stone of his worship the very reminder of how low his life had gotten became the very reminder of all the good that god was doing in his life this is going to sound so cliche but i don't really care when life gives you stones, build an altar to the Lord. I stood in prayer with a, a sister from this church this week. And as we were praying, she took the cries of her pain and transformed them into shouts of praise. And I believe, listen to me, I believe that God will grace you with the ability to take your most Difficult things that you're going to face, and the most difficult things that you are facing right now in this very moment, and turn it into an altar of praise to God. That's a story of transform uh, transformation. This was the thing that's killing me, and yet this is the thing that's drawn me closer to the Lord. I don't know what that stone memorial is going to look like for you. Maybe it is a stone memorial. Maybe it's a picture. Maybe you take a picture of a moment in your life where you say, this was when I got really low, and this is where God met me. Or perhaps your stone memorial is a journal where you've written down, I was really low, and I was down for the count, and I had no way out, but God met me in that moment. Or maybe your stone memorial is testifying to others, actually telling other people of what God has done in your life. However you do it, that's up to you. But set up a stone memorial, set up a memorial for what God is doing in your life, amen, so that you will never forget. All right, last, be formed in your wilderness season. Um, It may sound like Jacob is up to his old self and he's bargaining with God. In fact, that's what it sounds like when you're reading it. It sounds like he's saying, if you do this, if you do that, if you do that, then uh i'll be like all in and and give you all these things but more likely he is saying since god has promised to be with me and because he's promised to keep me and to give me a lasting hope then he shall be my god because he has in response i will and what his closing statements are essentially saying is i don't need to look anywhere else for the things that my heart longs for most And as proof of my commitment, as proof that you are my everything, as an act of worship and trust in your provision, God, I'm going to give you back a tenth, a tithe, as a way of living out that I am God's and he is mine. I'm going to make this intentional sacrifice to not only declare to you, but to remind myself that I am dependent on God and he is my provision. Now, this is remarkable because so far, Jacob in his life is a notorious taker. That's everything we've already uh, so far read about Jacob. From the very moment he's being born, he's trying to manipulate the situation. And the only times that he would give were in order to manipulate the situation to get something in return. But this revelation from God and his goodness transforms his life. And he's gone from being a manipulative taker to a generous giver. And the point is this, his encounter with God has changed his life. It's changed the way he's interacting with the world around him. And I believe that as you two are captivated by the revelation of God in the face of Jesus Christ, you too will experience the transforming power of God at work within you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in closing, what I wanna do is I wanna read a verse and then I'm done. And it comes from the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all, this is open to all of us, with unveiled face, what's that next word? Beholding, not a suggestion imperative. The glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we get our eyes and our attention on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, God promises to change our lives forever. Amen. 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 Let's pray.